Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Muni Lowdown, the podcast produced by DebtWire Municipals. Today is Tuesday, July 6th, 2021. And we are continuing our series of guest speakers on our podcast called State of Play. And today we have Jeff Scruggs of Goldman Sachs. Jeff, welcome to our show. Thank you, Young. Appreciate the chance to be here. Great to have you here. Let's give our audience a brief, just a brief bio of yourself. You are the head of public sector and infrastructure group at Goldman Sachs, and you've been there uh, since 2008. You started your career at Payne Weber before they were acquired by UBS and you have both an undergraduate and graduate degree from Harvard University. Very impressive. Thank you. Let me congratulate you on being named sole head of the aforementioned public sector and infrastructure group. I wish you luck there. Thank you. I appreciate it. Been a, a great 13 years so far. Look forward to it going forward. Let's get right into it. I want to discuss, first off, muni, muni bond issuance. A year ago, year and a half ago, when the pandemic started, investors were fleeing the market. Outflows hit historic amounts. And then <laughs> this, you know, Maybe I'm over-dramatizing, but that's basically what happened. And let's fast forward to today, and with the help of the Federal Reserve intervening and federal stimulus funds flowing into state and local governments, munis pretty much came back to life. And a record nearly half a trillion dollars, about, about $485 billion were issued in 2020, the most since the 1980s. So we're on a pace so far this year to even beat last year. Do you think this could be the golden age for munis with interest rates fairly low? That's a good one, Young. The golden age for munis. Well, I, I have to tell you, as a as a veteran of the industry, the golden age has seemingly been around several times. It was around the 80s, the 90s. It was around in the 2000s. It was around in VABs. So would I say that this is the golden age? I would say this is a very good age for munis. Um, you have a combination of a couple of things. You have interest rates being extremely low so that it really encourages refinancings. And clearly, the number of taxable refinancings we've done has been historic because I haven't seen that before in the industry. And then number two, you also have an era where the credits of the municipalities and the issuers seem to be very solid. I think a number of people worried about that in the pandemic last year, and obviously that was reflected in some of the activity or lack of activity. But uh, clearly with the latest round of stimulus, uh, I think it's fair to say that most of our clients have come through in very good shape. Obviously there are some that have been more challenged, particularly those that are, that are subject to leisure or travel uh, taxes or fees. But again, uh, we see those as uh, being able to pull through well as well, particularly given that it seems that America wants to go back to work and start traveling pretty quickly. Right. And I will discuss uh, infrastructure in a second, but focusing on issuance last year and a significant portion of it was taxable debt, probably about a third of it. What's behind it? And do you think this could be more of a trend? Thank you, Young. You're absolutely right about the significant issuance of taxable debt last year. That was absolutely unprecedented in all the years I've been in the muni business. You know, there are a couple of things that were behind it. Number one was just the absolute level of interest rates. You know, again, in my 35 years in the industry, I've never seen that level of interest rates, either in the taxable or the tax exempt side. And so when we looked at our clients, a number of them, since they could not do tax exempt advance refundings, 
did what many of us would have believed to have been a wise approach, which was that they took advantage of taxable interest rates to do advance refundings and to achieve significant levels of savings. The second component is really related to the first, which is when you looked at the absolute level of taxable rates compared to tax-exempt rates, they were pretty darn close, in fact, historically close, but what we call the ratios of taxable to tax-exempt. And so for a number of issuers, when they looked at what the benefit would be of waiting or what the break-even is to wait and see what happens to tax-exempt rates, the taxable rates look pretty good. They were very attractive, uh, not necessarily lower than the tax-exempt rates, but when people thought about how much would interest rates have to rise over some period of time, it wasn't as much as it typically would have because the ratio was very tight between taxable and tax-exempt. For a couple of those reasons, the taxable issuance as a percentage was significant. Now, could it be a trend? Yeah, I think that's due to, that, that really is subject to a number of factors. It's Number one, where are absolute rates going over the next six months, year, two years? Number two is what provisions are going to be in the infrastructure bill? Well, tax-exempt advance refundings return. Tax-exempt advance refundings return. Obviously, they'll probably take the place of a number of taxable advance refundings. You know, clearly that's something that will play its way out over the next couple of months. So, you know, as we think about trends... Those are the primary reasons. And then, yes, there obviously were some projects that didn't qualify for tax-exempt bonds, but did qualify for taxable bonds. And by the way, that even ignores two sectors of the market that last year in particular, but we see it continuing, regularly did corporate QCIP taxable issuance. And that's the healthcare and the higher ed sector. Those sectors do it for different reasons other than just absolute low interest rates. They do it for operating flexibility. And again, the overall low interest rates that we enjoyed and still currently enjoy have really encouraged those particular entities to use the taxable route. Let's talk about a program that was popular back in 2009, and lawmakers are debating about bringing back BABs, Build America Bonds, which basically, as I mentioned, taxable bonds. What are your thoughts on that, uh, bringing it back? Young, we certainly do remember 2009, 2010, because that was another one of your golden age for mm -hmm. munis. Listen, we know there are a lot of provisions that are going to be bandied about. You know, clearly, we want to see, and everybody wants to see, where infrastructure funding goes. Uh, the agreement that seemingly has dominated the Senate uh, discussion and Senate attention uh, over the past week or two, uh, or longer than that, actually. If that is the path forward, we we're hoping that a number of muni bond provisions or that a number of the ways of funding infrastructure uh, can be done using certain muni bond provisions. I would anticipate that Build America bonds or some form of it would be something that would be considered. Uh, as you know, and as a number of your listeners probably know, uh, there was a bipartisan bill that was forwarded, uh, was put forth by Senators Wicker and Bennett. Uh, it was done in 2020, and then it was reintroduced in 2021. So we know there's bipartisan support for it at the Senate level, and we believe at the House level as well. Do I think it would be something that would be beneficial? Yes, under the right circumstances, it can be beneficial. And that really relates to what are the borrowing costs for taxable bonds with whatever subsidy is put on it compared to what would be the borrowing for tax-exempt bonds. What we do know, however, is that it is a great way of achieving balance. And so to the extent that municipalities have the ability to issue either using a Build America bond type of provision or using a tax-exempt bond provision, 
we know that they'll be able to select the least costly, which obviously benefits the taxpayers and the ratepayers, regardless of what the project is. Okay, interesting, Jeff. So let me, let's talk about your firm, uh, Goldman Sachs. You guys were senior underwriters on about $13 billion worth of deals year to date so far, mostly negotiated. What does the firm see the second half of 2021 to be? You're right. We've had a very nice first half of the year, uh, and it's been um, very productive for us. The second half, again, a couple of what-ifs you have to throw in there. What if interest rates remain kind of in their current range? Well, we see a good number of refinancings. I think you'll still see a good number of taxable refinancings. Uh, so that may be your taxable issuance right there. I hate to say that the entire market is looking at the infrastructure bill, but it probably is for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think there's this belief, and it's not a correct belief in my opinion, that if an infrastructure bill is passed, it automatically it's going to be hugely beneficial for municipal bonds. Well, that's not necessarily the case. It's not to say it's harmful, or it's not to say that, boy, it's going to be, or it's going to adversely affect the industry. But it depends on how the lawmakers in Washington choose to fund some of these packages. And so to the extent that muni bond provisions are part of the overall package, well, then that could be very helpful. Could it be helpful in the second half of the year? Probably not, because you know one has to consider when would this bill be passed? Mm -hmm. You know What we think is that it's probably a fall event. Now, whether that's a September, October event, then depending on what those provisions are, you have to consider are projects ready to be funded or are they going to be funded with tax exempt bonds as they typically would be. I think the bigger uh, impacting factor for for volume in the for the balance of 2021 will just be absolute level of interest rates and what that means for refinancings. And again, if they remain in and around the level that we have right now, then I think we'll see very good volume for the balance of the year. If they were to suddenly spike up, now whether spike is 50, 75 basis points, mm -hmm. you may see some issuers decide to put their plans on hold. So again, that's a driver as well as what the overall infrastructure package looks like. Well, just zeroing, zeroing in on the infrastructure bill, which is still not resolved, like you said, we know based on NUD reports, it's long overdue. That's sort of a given. But whatever the final amount is going to be for the bill, it sounds like it's not going to be enough. Do you think this could spur more P3s, the public-private partnerships, if the that federal amount is, is insufficient so that the state and local governments say, hey, you know what, we have to move on to other ways to uh, fix our aging infrastructure? Young, that, that's a, it's an excellent question. And again, this gets to what are the provisions that make up the volume that is being dedicated to various components uh, of the planned infrastructure bill. So you saw various things, transportation, water, wastewater, you know, various sectors that if you read what the initial agreement uh, relates to, whether you call it the 579 or the billion two uh, component of it, what we don't know is the guts. What are the guts of the provisions right. that make up those amounts, right? right? Now, could public-private partnerships be a part of it? Absolutely, and we absolutely would encourage it. Now, could they be a part of it in terms of very specific grant dollars or loan provisions that come out of the federal government? Things like you know, WIFIA and TIFIA would love to have greater allowance for WIFIA and TIFIA. That would make an incredible amount of sense. Could they come in the form of allowing more private activity bonds 
to be part of overall projects that involve public-private partnerships and private investment. Would love to have that tool as well. So really, Young, it, it depends on what tools are granted by the, uh, by the law that's being contemplated. We'd love to see as many options as possible because we do think that that would spur a lot of innovation and it would spur a lot of participants to get involved in the industry and to get involved in the development of a number of these needed projects. Yes, and we shall see. So hopefully things will be resolved uh, fairly soon, like you said, by the fall. Now, Indeed. I want to talk, ask you about ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governments. Both the SEC and MSRB have either a task force or plan on implementing changes. And this topic is very prevalent in, in the market now. Do you see more disclosure from an issuer's point of view on this? Young, this is, it's a complex topic. And, you know, ESG obviously has taken various forms in terms of, uh, in terms of points of emphasis. Uh, Obviously, several years ago, the emphasis was on green on the environmental side. Uh, Clearly, over the past year or so, given a good amount of the social issues, social unrest that has occurred in the country, a lot of the issues now center around the the social and the governance components. You know, I, I think when you Think about what issuers may do in their points of view. Number one, the clients that I talk to have a great amount of interest in this general topic. Now, a lot of that interest is going to be spurred or not spurred by the elected officials. So I'm sure, you know, the, depending on various parts of the country, uh, it may receive more attention than others. But one of the things that is duly noted by a number of our clients is what do the investors think? If this topic is something, and we do know that in various parts around the world, there are ESG funds and various uh, investors that are putting more emphasis on it than others. But if this topic is going to be one where municipal bond investors are going to start having an incredible amount of interest in what the issuers are doing, well, then you can bet the issuers are going to have interest in trying to make sure that they give proper information for investors to uh, con- to consider. Again, one of the questions that immediately comes to, uh, to mind from people that we've talked to, issuers and clients that we've talked to is, so will the focus on ESG, will it drive a difference between the yields that you could get if mm-hmm. you, the issuer, focus on the ESG topics in terms of disclosure? Uh, or does, is it not really going to, to matter? And it's obviously one of the things that if you think back to green bonds from four, right. six, five, right. six, seven, eight years ago, mm-hmm. one of the issues about the least tax-exempt green bonds has always been, yes, but is there a pricing difference? Mm. And the reality has been, no, there has not been a discernible pricing difference. And I know some people may point to a deal here or there, but there really has not been a discernible, consistent pricing difference. I would think that many of the issuers will also have that same question about disclosure around just ESG general, particularly given a number of the things that have happened over the past year. All right. Definitely a topic to keep in mind. Jeff, just a few more last questions for you, if you don't mind. Sure. Absolutely. Let's talk about technology. You've got both the good and the bad. Obviously, technology is so prevalent in our lives. Now, the good, I know... I think a couple of years back, the city of Berkeley, California was uh, implementing of doing a micro bond deal uh, using blockchain technology. And of course, you've got the, the flip side, bad, where 
cities, municipalities, school districts have been hit by cyber attacks. I remember Atlanta, Baltimore, New Orleans. So, you know, that's obviously impact on their budgets. How do you see this in the muni marketplace? I mean, is it like, you know, and obviously in a larger scale, you've got corporations and governments being impacted in terms of, and in a way it is, I guess, infrastructure. So tell us your thoughts on on technology in general in, in the muni land, muni space. Boy, uh, Young, that, that's about as broad a topic as we could hit, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> again, I'm trying to think about the, the best way to address technology. Listen, it's, it's here and it's always going to be here, right? And if you think about it from two different points of view, one is what is the impact on our clients? Obviously, a, a lot of, you know, all of our clients are impacted by technology to some degree. There are certain clients that revolve around the technology or the tech industries. So they rely on them for their for their overall well-being. And, you know, those are areas that, you know, we talk, talk about the tech corridors and whether they're the San Francisco's, the Seattle's, the Boston's, Washington, D.C.'s, a number of areas that have really built up a lot of their economy around technology. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there's a, a healthy amount of focus uh, there. You do hit on a point about the bad cyber attacks. Obviously, that's required resources to be expended by our clients to try to protect themselves from cyber attacks, just as corporations like Goldman Sachs do, cities like New York City uh, have to. So it's just become part of what they have to invest in. And obviously, you know, there are always the questions, how much do you invest in that versus investing in any number of other priorities that the city may have? Yes, it's a juggling act mm-hmm. uh, and one that's, you know, certainly uh, I can't be put in their shoes, but I imagine that, you know, the budget heads really have to evaluate what the uh, what the upside or downside is of any certain amount of investment in each one. You know, on the overall market side, you know, cl- clearly technology, whether it's in how we price transactions, whether it's in how we relate to investors, whether it's in how we relate to our uh, clients, the issuers, that continues to evolve. You know, Young, I have any number of, you know, way back in the 1980s stories that I could bore you with. <laughs> and, <laughs> and how, I, much, I, how much time do we got, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm sure you're, you, let me be clear, your listening audience would get tired of it real fast. But, All right, next podcast, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, ne- next podcast will dedicate it to, you know, old <laughs> stories from 30 years ago. But I, I think if you were to ask any number of industry veterans from whether it's 20, 30, 35, 40 years ago, they would say, boy, everything is real time right now. Mm -hmm. Yes, that enables us to do things faster, but I always get concerned about does that that enable the participants, particularly the newer participants, to get to know a lot of the fundamentals in the same way. And, you know, again, it's something that each – each of our firms has to be very cognizant of. We have to be very cognizant of our training, how we train junior professionals, mm-hmm. how we train the mid-level professionals. Uh, because for those of us that have been around a number of years, technology has really, really helped expedite a number of tasks that just used to take a long period of time. Yeah, and, and with this pandemic, that also obviously put technology into the forefront with Zoom and this even this podcast, uh, getting people to uh, to to talk to. It's great. So that's definitely a, a good thing of technology. Well, and Young, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that if you were to have presented 
the facts of what's happened in the world the last 14 months, if you would have told me that February of 2020 mm -hmm. and said, yeah, you guys will, within a week or two, you'll quickly adapt <laughs> and you'll have to keep it up for 14, 15 months, I would have said, I I'm not sure I'm cut out for this job. But yeah, yeah. again, technology has, technology did allow us to do that. The ability for all the firms to be able to remotely price very efficiently, the number of transactions that occurred last year was was nothing short of miraculous. But the miraculous component of it was really enabled by technology. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, as we all go back to work in various forms and manners for various firms, it does seem like, geez, you know, boy, we just emerged out of this 15-month haze here. And you know, getting all back together again is something that is very rewarding. We think it's very helpful, but that technology still remains. So we still remain on Zoom uh, calls. We still do podcasts. All those things are not going to disappear. It'll just be very interesting as to how they are now balanced when you get people back to the office uh, pretty much full time. Yes, and we shall see. And I'm going to hold you to another podcast of your outtakes. So we're going to, we're going to do that. <laughs> that will be interesting. Yes. But let's shift 180 degrees and a more serious and final question to you, Jeff. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you about diversity in public finance. Um, then I guess, you know, the overall look at the whole financial market. How has the major events in the past, in the last year, and a half created, a, has this created a new direction in munis in terms of the workplace? You know, I've, I have a lot of opinions about this one as well. Uh, and, and again, I'll, I'll do the remember when, when I got into the industry, there were not too many African-Americans uh, mm -hmm. who were in it. And there were usually a couple per firm. Uh, whether that was intentional or not is not a, an issue to really discuss here. Mm -hmm. But um, diversity is something that's, in particular in our industry, it's, compelling and it's necessary. If you look at our client base, you look at all the participants in the industry, it's an exceedingly diverse mix. Uh, I find that very rewarding. And I think it, if you're a firm like Goldman Sachs or any other firm, you have to take that into account when you think about what your staffing is and who is dedicated to specific issuers. We take that into account all the time. And if you're an issuer, you take it into account, I'm sure, in how you do your selections, et cetera. So inherently, it's a part of the public finance world. Clearly, what's happened in the last year and a half, as horrific as many of the incidents are, as much as the overall diversity topic has been much more commonplace over the past year and a half or year plus, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done with all the firms. They all admit that. There's a lot of work to be done just generally in the country. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, when we think about the direction, we are thinking here at Goldman about diversity committees. We're thinking about how we address various issues, both internally and with our clients. These are things that the young professionals and the older professionals are demanding of us. So there are changes that are occurring within these firms as we think about how we conduct business and as we think about how we interact with our clients and we interact with our investor clients as well. Yes, very interesting. But Jeff, Thank you so much for your time, your insights. We appreciate your you, you being us with, uh, with us on our show today, and we hope to have you again in the future. Thank you, Young. Very much appreciated. And I'll tell you some of those war stories the next time around. <laughs> okay. All right. It's a deal.
<laughs> okay, take care now. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Many thanks to Jeff Scruggs of Goldman Sachs for his time and participation. And also, thanks to our audience who tune in week after week for the latest on distressed mini debt on a mini lowdown, the podcast produced by DebtWire Municipals. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Mini Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.